It's the True Penny Show with your host, James True Penny. Hello and welcome to the True Penny Show. My name is James True Penny. This is my show, and today, for the first time in a long time, we are looking at North America. Not the whole continent, <laughs> just a wrestling show on the continent. Normally, we leave it to the Wrestling Rewind to deal with North American stuff these days. But I talked to my man, Dara, and said, can we look at Revolution? Because we have two Deathmatch fans on the Troopany show who would really very much like to look at people blowing each other up. So I have two people who are experts in watching people blow each other up. Will you please welcome... <laughs> John Dinsell from Steelchair Wrestling Magazine. How are you? I am pretty good. This, yeah, it's great to see a deathmatch main event, a massive American show again for the first time in what feels like forever. And also, it's Chelsea Spollen. How are you? I'm doing okay. I would not call myself a deathmatch, but <laughs> whatever expertise I have in that area is probably your fault, James. So yeah, it's fitting I made... that we're doing this. I made you watch all those FMW shows, and it is nice, but I've got the person who reviewed the very first FMW show that we looked at on the Troopany show, and the person who review, reviewed the very last FMW show that's available to watch to the public on the Troopany show together. Word. Yeah, there you go. So, Chelsea, like one start of the FMW. better end of the stick there. <laughs> <laughs> if you watch that first show with, like, Ropey looking barbed wire and also Matsunaga grimacing his way through the matches. I'm not sure you say that. I don't even think it had barbed wire. I don't even think the last one. Oh no, it did. It had that really bad cage match, didn't it? Yes. Yeah. 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 Anyway, anyway. Anyway, AW then. Um, so Revolution was their biggest show, it turns out. It grossed $6.5 million, which is, as they say, a big deal. Okay. AEW is pretty much here to stay with figures like that, and they've done the sensible thing as far as TV is concerned. Now, there are issues with the product, which are well documented, and I'm sure we'll all agree on that. However, $6.5 million is not a lot to be sniffed at. Chelsea, what were your thoughts on the company? Because I know you haven't been watching regularly, but when you saw Doe wrote Barbed Wire Exploding Double Hell Deathmatch, your ears pricked up. <laughs> Yeah, so um, I am a really big John Moxley fan. I love that dude, and I was a big fan of his when he was in WWE, but also seemed like he really wasn't enjoying being in WWE and was really bored with everything they were having him do. So um, he was the reason that I sort of wanted to give AEW a chance when he uh, signed on with them, and I watched a little bit of his title run, and that was cool. Um I do not regularly watch the product, as you said, but I sort of follow the happenings on Twitter. You know, whenever something big happens, I see it. And I saw people freaking the fuck out about him being in a death match. And I was like, oh, that's cool. What is he going to do? And then when I looked it up, I was like, what? I cannot believe they're doing that. Um, I, I was really shocked. I know that uh, Tony Khan and some of the other people who are in charge of what happens on the AEW product are like old school wrestling fans. But I mean, that's a, that's a pretty deep cut right there. Like I, 
<laughs> I I would bet you there are a lot of people who watched WCW and are big fans of, you know, what most North American fans think of as like old school wrestling from back in the day when wrestling was so much better than it is now, apparently. Um, uh, who have never seen an FMW pay-per-view. So I thought that was interesting. And I mean, like, I knew that John Moxley was an Onita fan before he ever talked about that in public because there are just, there are a lot of parallels there to how that guy carries himself and how he presents himself and that whole thing of, like, I'm not the best at anything, but I'm the toughest guy and that's why I'm fucking here and I'm too charismatic for you to deny me. So um, I thought that was exciting. And I mean, he and Kenny Omega have some pretty crazy chemistry. Like, I've watched a couple of the things they've done together before this and was really impressed with how well they get each other's timing and everything they do just seems to click. So um, I I was really excited when I found out that AEW was going to do this. And then they promoted it by having Onita record a message, <laughs> like basically giving them his blessing and saying that he was excited about it. And that was I, I was I was really actually kind of wondering about that before before they had him do that. I was thinking I was like, how does Onita feel about the fact that this thing that he pioneered is being presented by a company that he maybe doesn't have any relationship to. So the fact that they like went out of their way to get his permission, and I don't know if they did that before they announced it or not, whatever. But um, the fact that they went out of their way to get his blessing and get him to talk about it on North American TV was pretty exciting. Um, And I said that on Twitter and then he followed me on Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't even know how to handle that. I can't can't completely process that. uh, Sushi Onita sort of like maybe knows who I am. Um, So, uh, so, yeah. You've just made John the most jealous human being in the world because Sushi Onita also follows me. But he doesn't follow John. John, just tweet about him. Just tweet about him a, a couple times. Say he'll nice work things. And he'll follow. I, yeah, yeah. Seriously, sure say I nice things about him. But just do do some recent tweets after we do this. Like, say some nice stuff about him on your Twitter, and he'll yeah. find you. He's like John Cena. He's following everybody on Twitter who says sort of nice stuff about him. Yeah, and you know, match that up with like this this podcast, and you'll see. Yeah. 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 Let's get Onita to listen to the podcast. Does he listen to the podcast? He should listen to the podcast. I did tweet. That's the reason why he followed me is because I tweeted the Onita special we did, and then he followed ah. me after that. Yeah. So there you go. Nice. John, what are your thoughts on AEW? Because we've not talked about that before. See, I I loved when AEW first came onto the scene. I'm a massive fan of Kenny Omega, so of course, whenever I see him doing something new, I'm like, ooh, this is going to be cool. And obviously the people they were bringing into it, they had a nice sort of core roster. And it's it's grown into something completely uncontrollable and overfilled to the gills. But it's still relatively fun to watch. <laughs> like, I'm not... I don't watch weekly as, like, some people do. But whenever there's something big on, I'll catch it. I, um, I do think that's AEW strength is nothing much happens. Therefore, you can figure out what's going on fairly quickly. Yep. They're, yeah. they're good at building totally agree. stories like that. Yeah, I think that's I think that's the the thing because you were saying earlier. Well, we'll talk about that at the end, but but because otherwise we'll go into the conversation, and not review the matches. So let's start. There was the buy-in show because it's it's double or nothing, and all AEW uh, stuff is gambling orientated. <laughs> uh, where John can now give you a capsule pre post the capsule review of what happened 
on the buying show because we watched it and I haven't. It's basically just um, Mackie Ito appearing on American TV, which is huge because Mackie Ito is amazing and now more, even more people know who she is. And she teamed up with Britt Baker to take Rebel's place and beat up Thunder Rosa and Rio. There you go. Did you see that, Chelsea? I didn't. And really, I'm just annoyed that it was on the pre-show. Because why is Maki Ito's American debut on the pre-show? That's like a big fucking deal. She's awesome. Yes, make money off the thing. But... Yeah. I think that's Put the her tr- on the show so she can yell at all the North American wrestling fans on Twitter and tell them that they suck. <laughs> I mean, she's doing that anyway because she's amazing. But, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I want more of that shit on my timeline, not less. Yeah. No, it's... Ah, well, there you go. Right, we will go into the opening match. The Young Bucks, Matt Jackson and Nick Jackson, defeated the Inner Circle, Chris Jericho and MJF in 17 minutes and 49 seconds in a match set up based around the fact that the inner circle had hospitalised Nick and Matt's dad. And though this was a bit of a technical masterpiece, my major issue with it was the fact Nick and Matt didn't wrestle like the, the guys that they were wrestling had put their father in hospital. It was all a bit nice for my taste. John, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, it was lacking a bit of heat, but as you said, technical masterclass and a great sort of showcase for MJF, who people already know is cool, but now he can, like, they show how well he wrestles as well. It was a, it was a great match, but it felt like it lasted a lifetime. Yeah, it did. It was 17 minutes for an opener is a long time. When I'm used to New Japan openers being 10 minutes, <laughs> and everybody gets to shit in and everyone goes home. And it's like, this, this, this had a lot to going on in it. And it was, I think, there was nothing wrong with it, but I just placed it later in the show on personal taste. Um, but, yeah, it was it was a good match, and everything worked, and, you know, they're all good workers. And, but it just didn't have that X factor for me. What did you think, Chelsea? I mean, it was fine. Like, you know, I was, I, I don't watch the AEW product that regularly. I mostly just watch, like, if I find out there's a segment that somebody... I like did something good in I will watch that segment the day after it airs but I don't really watch it live so I was totally unaware of the storyline going into this match and then while I was watching it in commentary said something about you know the young buck's dad I was like wait what now (laughs) yeah it didn't feel like that at all like you said and um the surprise for me here was really just that Chris Jericho's weird theme song is so over yeah Um, I mean I'm I'm glad I guess but also, I don't know. I'm I'm a little surprised. I'm like, did they did they tell the crowd to to, to do no, that? No, I don't know. No, no, they've been singing it spontaneous spontane spontaneously <laughs> spontaneously for quite some time now. Ever since I mean, he came out with the Judas, actually. I, to be fair. It's no it's no Kazeninare, but like good good for that guy, I guess. I don't know. I mean this was fine. It it felt to me like the um, the plot line leading up to this match probably warranted a position later on the card, but they yeah. ended up getting stuck at the beginning of the card because they couldn't figure out where else to put it. Yeah. And that's fine. You know, I just, it was, it was pretty standard fare for an opener. It wasn't anything groundbreaking. It was fun. It was too long. Um, and probably, I mean, if they want to keep going with that storyline, they should probably pick it up by, by elevating the stakes a little bit. Yes, that kind of needs a cage or some form of street fight, though. 
I'm not sure the young books are kind of street fight or cage catch. Something material. with weapons, maybe. Yes, something yeah. something different. Anyway, moving that on. The second can't really happen now because of what happened on Dynamite. <laughs> no, that that this is the trouble. I've, having said that, nothing really happens on AEW. A bunch of stuff happened on AEW Dynamite this week. So, oh. yes. Bye um, bye in a circle. <laughs> yes, the M- MJF Jericho marriage is no more, and there oh. is. There is a there is a new unnamed faction with Sean Spears, MGF, Wardlow, and um, Tully Blanchard. Tully Blanchard and FTR. Um, okay. And so, <laughs> someone was, they haven't named it yet. As Alan Forel, who used to write for uh, FSM, was saying, "Please don't be the new Four Horsemen. Please don't be the new Four Horsemen." Oh, Twitter this God. morning, and I was like, "Equine destruction would be my pick." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, no. I, I hope they have fun with that. Yes. It, 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 all good guys, all solid workers know what they're doing. But um, we'll see. Anyway, the Casino Tag Team Royale match, big deep breath, was won by Death Triangle, Pack and Ray Phoenix. They defeated Bear Country, Jurassic Express, Matt and Mike Sedell, Private Party, Christopher Daniels and Frankie Kazarian, that'd be SCU, The Butcher and The Blade. The Dark Order, The Dark Order, The Dark Order, The Gun Club, The Inner Circle, The Natural Nightmares, they really need more factions that don't begin with The, The Pretty Picture, and The Varsity Blondes. <laughs> and Private Party. And Private Party, yes. Did I miss them off the list? I thought I'd said them to begin with. Oh, well, sorry about oh, that. Maybe I maybe I missed it. Yes. Um, but yeah, it was... It was a big mess of a match, and it was messy, and it was it was fun, and it did what it said on the tin, and I I have no problems with this match at all, and there were some cool spots in it, but there was an awful lot of setup to get those cool spots off. <laughs> John, what did you think of this? Yeah, this was kind of your typical massive man match, except oh, it's teams, and you have to eliminate two people, and it led to some really unique two-on-one scenarios. There was a lot of fun moments, a lot of great teams in there, and then. A lot of teams who lasted longer than I expected them to. Hmm. And it was it was just a mess, but it was a fun mess, and I love seeing Bear Country on a big stage. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with having a fun mess every once in a while in a wrestling match. Chelsea, what did you think of this particular effort? Um, so a lot of those guys are not super familiar to me. All of them are really good. Uh. I particularly, I was very excited to see my boys Private Party, who I really love because I saw them when they were wrestling in Queens before anybody knew who they were and thought they were amazing then and they're amazing now. Um, I, I I love Ray Phoenix and Pac as a team. I was not familiar with the fact that they were a team to begin with prior to this, but they work together very well. They're both really good and they're fun to watch. Um, this was too long. Yes. Uh, they should have cut a couple teams and 10 minutes from this match and put the women on the main show who were on the pre-show. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, it was it was fine. Like, it was a fun tag team match. And I like the fact that AEW seems to be doing a better job than their distinguished competition of making sure that they get a lot of the talent that are popular with fans on the pay-per-view so everybody gets the pay-per-view paycheck. But... Uh, I don't know. I was just like, some of this is unnecessary. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly unnecessary, sir. Uh, yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I think it was fun. It was uh, 
messy fun, but it again needed to be shorter. But you know, you're right. Good for them for getting everybody on the show, but there are other people that need need to be on the show that not. So, but there we are. Um, yeah, private party actually are everywhere right now because they were they were number one contenders to the RHO Ring of Honor Tag Team Championships. They were in Impact for a couple of shows. They they've literally been on more television shows than any other tag team yeah. in pro wrestling. They're freaking uh, awesome. I love those guys. They're both super, super talented. Yes. Now under the tutelage of Matt Hardy. Yeah, which heels. is funny. I've seen them. I've seen them wrestle Matt Hardy. I saw yeah. them wrestle Matt and Jeff in uh, at House of Glory. I think it was the match they had with. Um, I want to say uh, Devon and um, the other Dudley, the the one who's the MAGA shithead. Um, that they were both. Holy right. Yeah, there, there we go. Um, <laughs> I uh, I don't care about that guy, so I don't remember his name. But we, we, uh, but funny yeah. enough, we were just discussing how much nobody cares about that guy. Yeah, no, not not a soul. Um, so uh, so yeah, I I I remember seeing them and not having that sense of like, oh my god, these guys are going to make so much money and be incredible, but just thinking like wow, these guys are great and nobody's talking about them. Why is nobody talking about them? So the fact that everybody is now talking about them like four years later is very satisfying. I'm very happy for them. Yeah, it's been really cool. Um, Let us move on then to the AEW Women's Championship. Now, myself and John did analyze the opening matches of the AEW's Japanese bracket for women, uh, which was eventually won by Ryu Mizunami, who went on to win the whole cotton-picking thing to face Hikuru Shida. In a relatively heated match, Ryu Mizunami, the student of Meiko Satomura, up against Hikuru Shida, the student of Emi Sakura, the two big names, and literally they are having the matches their mentors had 10 years ago. Because <laughs> 10 years ago, Ryo Mizunami told Hikuru Shida, you'll never beat me in 100 years. And that was the story behind this match, and they didn't need anything else. They tore the house down in 15 minutes. I loved this. I would watch Hikuru Shida wrestle a high stack for months on end. <laughs> Chelsea, what's your thoughts on this one? Oh, this is so good. Um, I did not watch the tournament, and I feel like I should have because I've I've since gone on Wikipedia and looked at who wrestled who and was like, wow, they got some big names for that. They did, um, yeah. My thing is, why have a tournament that builds all this tension and all these stakes to have somebody who wins that tournament wrestle Hikaru Shida for the belt but then have them lose? Yes. Like, that seemed kind of weird. I'm like, you have this opportunity here to build, and I'm not saying it has to be Ryo Mizunami. I mean, I think she's amazing, and she's super fun and super charismatic, and I love that she's got that, like, big, tough, strong thing while also wanting to party with you and getting the audience to dance with her. Like, that is very cool. But she doesn't have to be the, the title holder at the end of it. They could have picked someone to be the title holder if she was not available, yeah. And they just, they, you know, I mean, I, I love Hikaru Shida. She's freaking awesome. And like the whole white suit thing, all of gay lady wrestling Twitter, we were all just like, hello. <laughs> um, she, she looks good. I mean, she looks good anyway, but we were all like, damn, girl, you did that. Yes. Um, but uh, but I, that didn't make sense to me. I'm like, why have this amazing tournament to create stakes for nothing? Um, the match was awesome. Like it's it's really really good. They they both looked like huge stars. They looked like titans. I actually kind of got the sense, having seen Rio 
in something else I was watching recently from a Sunday Girl show from a few years ago. I kind of get the sense that they were maybe toning it down a bunch that maybe like AEW kind of was like, hey, so these are some things we want you to like not do because this is um, whatever. I don't know if AEW does the whole producerial thing the way WWE does, but that was kind of the vibe that I got. That, or maybe that was self-editing. Maybe they were trying to intentionally have a departure from some of the stuff they'd done before together. But um, I, it's... It's six of one half a dozen of the, the other, I think. Yeah. Um, Ikura Shida was probably the producer for this match, I would say. Yeah. Uh, she's been produ- she produced the matches in Japan. So gotcha. I would suggest that it makes sense for her to be the producer of this match as she's wrestling another Japanese wrestler doesn't have any more much English. So it makes right. sense for that way around. But yes, I agree with you. I think it was... I think this is the issue with Akira Shida and me in the AEW Championship is that I've seen Akira Shida have better matches than anyone on the AEW roster, and yep. I which think, is not a surprise. Which no, because she's who are surprised by that and who still thinks that she's just there because she's Kenny Omega's girlfriend. Maybe. Oh God, yeah. And I'm like, I will personally roll up my sleeves and fight you if that is your opinion. Like, yeah. no. <laughs> no, she's she's an excellent storyteller. She's an incredibly good professional wrestler. Her ability in self-promotion and organization, she's an actress. She's a yeah. model. She is a pro wrestler. She's been she's... doing this for, what, over a decade at this yeah. point? She's really freaking good. Yeah, exactly. And this is the thing. Someone else went was crying on Twitter this week about Maki Ito being a teenage girl and she's untrained and I don't want to see this on my wrestling show. And it was like, She's been wrestling for eight years. You know nothing. Go away. She's not untrained. That scrappiness is part of her style. It's yes. a stylistic choice. Yes, exactly. People are dumb. They are. John, what are your thoughts on this match? I'm, I'm glad that the only women's match on the card was the best match of the night. Like, this said, was amazing. Like, Shida is probably one of the best women's champions I'll ever be. Mizunami, one of the best challenges you'll ever get. Both women who know how to wrestle, know how to put in a great match, know how to work with each other. And they kind of gave North America a taste of what a Joshi match would be like yes. outside of the tournament. I'm quite, slightly gutted Mizunami didn't win because mm. Mizunami is one of my favourites, in the not only in the tournament, but just in general. Her matches in Pro are hilarious and she's mm. just fun. It, it was just a great match and you both kind of all took every compliment I could have already given it. I just, I, I <laughs> Did you guys that... get FMW vibes from this a little bit? Um, I got, it was kind of like very much the Oz Academy booking that Ryo Mizunami and Akira Shido are used to, that slow burn main event style that Oz Academy has, that mm. um, Otani Ozaki is so good at booking. Like it's slow start. It's very much like Shinya Hashimoto because it's your Okada kind of wrestling. Like slow start, take your time, tell a story, and then build to a climax. Mm. And it was crisp and it was clean and it was very, it was very Joshi in that sense. One thing, the things that Asuka complained about with Joshi when she was a Japanese wrestler was the fact that everything has to be perfect. Yeah. And there's like, there's, in, in WWE, you can afford to get away with not being perfect because it's TV wrestling and, you know, you can um and i think the i don't think it was a statement to her what she said but i think they wanted to showcase what perfect can look like and how good it can be and it was there was more there was more kind of you know 
of that kind of emphasis. And there will be bits of FMW because Emi Sakura was an FMW girl to start with. Yeah. By, it by reminded mis- me of some of the FMW cards where you get the all these guys who were big stars at the time, and then you get two women who maybe some of the audience were less familiar with. Yeah. I mean, and they would just, you know, totally, completely outclass the men. Yeah. And have a have a fabulous, really fun match that everybody got super invested in. And by the end, they were big stars, even though at the beginning, some of the audience was just kind of like, you know, sitting on their hands waiting for more of the men. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know what you mean. I think that was right. They, they certainly took the audience with them. They, they took them on a roller coaster ride. They weren't there to start with, but by the end, they were on the edge of the seat. You could hear them. It was cool. Very, very cool. Yes. Right then, moving on to Kip Saban and Miro. They defeated Chuck Taylor and Orange Cassidy in the continuing story of the Penelope Ford, Kip Saban, Miro marriage with Chuck Taylor as former butler of Miro slash Kip Saban. Um, And Kip Saban and Miro got revenge over Chuck Taylor and Orange Cassidy for ruining Penelope and Kip Saban's wedding. Wrestling weddings going wrong for a very long time. Um... (laughs) Yeah, it was absolutely the kind of throwaway fun match you need in the middle of a card like this. Nothing wrong with it. Uh, I don't think it was dreadful. It wasn't going to be like Luthez versus Ricky Dozan, was it? But it was good. It was good for what it was. It was a ton of fun, and everyone had a good time. What more could you ask for? Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, Connor had to go and spoil it this week. But there you go. It was a fun match, and I enjoyed it. So we're not going to talk about it. Chelsea, what did you think of this match? I I mean, I'm glad that Miro is doing stuff that is clearly way more interesting to him than the BS that WWE had him doing the last, like, year that he was there. Um, doing his whole, like, badass thing where he just grabs a mic and yells at people is great. Um, it works for him <laughs> a lot. Uh, I wasn't super, super into this, but, I mean, I thought it was I thought it was fine. Like, I didn't have any complaints, really, except... That I want more Penelope Ford on this show, like, period. If AEW is like, Penelope Ford's going to have a really big match, I'll watch it. Because she's a badass. She's yeah. awesome. Like, I've seen her wrestle in person probably about, probably a dozen times. Because she used to go to all of the Shine shows that were in New York when I still lived there. And she used to do a bunch of indie bookings in New York, too. And I remember thinking, how has nobody signed this girl yet? She looks like a TV star. She's amazing. She's super charismatic. And I I, I know that they've used her a little bit, but they're mostly using her as Kip Sabian's girlfriend. And, like, that's that's fine. She is, you know. I think they're engaged at this point or something. But... Married. Married on screen now. Oh, yeah. nice. Yes. On nice. screen married at least. I'm not Good sure if they're married in real life, but definitely on screen married. Well, there's no bigger upgrade in the history of wrestling relationships than going from dating Joey Janela to dating Kip Sabian, who is so fine. That man is so handsome. But, um, but like, I just, I want more of her. So I get mad when she's just there to be his valet. That's, that's my big criticism of this match is that, is that I want more from her and I don't get it when I watch their product and it's annoying. Fair enough. John, your thoughts. To be fair, if they ever do a women's death match, I imagine Penelope Ford will be in it. Given yes, and she will dive off it. of something into something else, and it will be great. I've seen that girl land in more barbed wire than I don't know what. <laughs> yeah. She's definitely tough as hell and deserves more matches. This was 
fine. I love the fact that Chuck Taylor wrestled the entire match with like blood in his eyes from yes. like sm- smashed through a bit. Like I'm guessing it was a sugar glass window. Yeah, I don't think yeah. it really puts his face to actual. Then again, death match. Yeah, this was mainly just Miro being a badass the entire time. Yes, Did even. Even just to use Penelope Ford as a weapon at one point to cause a distraction, it was just kind of like, oh, Miro's here to do whatever the hell he wants and beat people up. I'm all for this, Miro. <laughs> Fair enough, then. Uh, next, we went up to Adam Page defeating Matt Hardy in 50, 14 minutes and 57 seconds. Um, in a classic, like, old-school manager trying to take a sweet deal off a of babyface's contract, this is WCW, 19... 19- 92 all over again. It's Kevin Sullivan trying to buy out Norman the Lunatic's contract. It's just the same thing. It's just a different way of going about it. Um, and the wonderful line in the promo, it is my time to prove that Matt Hardy is a good old-fashioned carny son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and that made this work. John, what's your thoughts on this one? Yeah, this, this was good. It probably went a bit too long for my test. Yeah. Every time it looked like it was about to finish, it was just like, oh, no, here's another, like, three or four minutes of action. And <laughs> it's kind of just like, I get that it's a story vehicle for Page in the Dark Order, but it's just, I don't know, if this had been a bit shorter, I'd have probably enjoyed it a bit more, because I'm struggling mm. to remember half of it. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. It it just kind of happened. It was nothing wrong with it. Perfectly good TV wrestling. And Matt Hardy, for a guy that age to pull out matches this good, considering what his body's been through, it's really, really cool that he's still going at this level and can live with a guy like Adam Page, who's, like, world-class. Um, I'm just glad he didn't get injured again. Yeah, that's that's good, too. What's your thoughts on this one, Chelsea? Um, I really didn't have a ton of thoughts about this, to be honest. Like, <laughs> it, was, it was a 15-minute Matt Hardy match. And, like, Matt Hardy is, is good at what he does, but not for 15 minutes. <laughs> not anymore you know like maybe maybe because i didn't get any of the build-up to it so it just wasn't there were no stakes for me i was just like cool um uh page is there and he's great and he looks better and better and better every time i see him like he just seems to effortlessly grow into a better and better tv star as time goes on but this wasn't exciting for me. I, I'm pretty sure I spent the second half of it looking at my phone because I was just getting tired. I think and me and John were discussing this before we started. I think the issue with AEW is only having four pay-per-views a year. They have to, John described it as the the less exciting choices, I think you were saying, was being kind. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And because of the four four pay-per-views which is not a bad idea because it keeps people wanting more but you have to keep people in holding patterns what do you do with adam page adam page is going to be the AEW world's heavyweight champion within the next two years it's locked in it will happen but how do you keep him busy and hot until then where you get a bunch of batteries in to carry him to that point and that's kind of where you're at with this it's it's worth it in the long run because it will make him a better champion but that's the story you've got to go with at the moment. So it makes it harder to to shift it, really, doesn't it? To make it viable. Not there's anything wrong with it. It just isn't necessarily going to click in the same way. And you're right. It could have been crisper and shorter and, you know, it would have been better, I think. Just tighter. Yeah. 
And yeah. I just, I don't know. I feel like it's good to give that guy matches with people he can learn stuff from. And yeah. Matt Hardy is, you know, been there and done it all. But I also feel like he needs matches with people who can keep up with him physically. And I, that's not Matt Hardy at this point. Maybe it would be if he took a year off and gave his body a rest. But I see that guy and I'm like, man, I I hope you have a good relationship with your chiropractor because, ouch. See, this is the thing. It's like, when was the final deletion? What was that, 2016? Something like that. Yeah, so he's he pretty much reinvented himself as a main event world championship level wrestler at the age of 38. <laughs> After having one of the most extreme careers dropping off ladders, going through tables that he'd had in the previous, like, 20 years. And then all of a sudden, he was a bigger draw than Jeff was, and he was, like, World Heavyweight Championship material, for at least for Impact, and probably was up there if he'd gone to WWE at the time. Yeah. Um, and he's not been afraid to take time off when he needs to. But, you know, there was a... We used to equally, like, the schedule they were running. The Hardy Boys were Impact, Impact Wrestling Tag Team Champions one day, Ring of Honor Tag Team Champions the next day, and then ended up dropping those belts on the Saturday and won the WWE Tag Team Championships on the Sunday at one yep. point. That's how mental their life was at the time. And he hasn't really slowed down since. Slowed down he did like a five-year career arc in six months or something yeah, like that. And I managed to have another couple of kids in the meantime. <laughs> And yeah, it's just like, so yes, he, he perhaps needs a rest. Shall we move on to the Revolution Ladder Match, which featured Scorpio Sky defeated Cody Rhodes, Ethan Page, Lance Archer, Max Gaster, and Pentagon El Zero Miedo, or Pentagon Dark, as we call him here. 23 minutes and 7 seconds in a kind of another messy kind of ladder match, which was okay, but there was a lot going on here. Um, John, you had some strong thoughts on this. We'll start with you, because I know you didn't particularly like the idea of Scorpio Sky winning this, to be fair. I love the match. I love the people in the match. I love the fact that they booked Ethan Page to have like a strong debut. And don't get me wrong, Scorpio Sky is an amazing wrestler. He's a workhorse. He's part of one of the best factions in tag team wrestling. I just... I've seen him have too many title shots at this point. He's becoming Sonata in that he gets these shots and never uses mm. them. And I don't know how thrilled I am at the idea of seeing Scorpio Sky versus Darby Allen. I'd have rather it be Lance Archer, personally, or Ethan Page, or Penta, or Max Caster, just anyone that wasn't the guy <laughs> or Cody, because I've seen it before. Yeah. It's nothing against him in the slightest. It's just, to me, there were more interesting matchups you could have had coming out of this than Scorpio Sky. Yeah. But the match itself was great, and Sky was great in the match. He picked his moments perfectly. You had Cody Rhodes wrestling with one arm. You had Ethan Page there to show everyone up. Lance Archer being Lance Archer. Max Caster showing he's more than a tag team wrestler. And again, Penta just being Penta. He can't have a bad match if he tried. It was a great car crash of a match. Just the ending kind of left me a bit... That's understandable. Yeah, I could I could agree with that. I mean, I liked the match. I thought it was okay. It was just it was long for my taste. And again, I'm not a big multi-man match fan. I prefer things to be a bit more one-on-one or tag teams myself. But yeah, it was okay. Chelsea, what did you think of this? Um, 
I like the people in this match, but I had a hard time caring about all 23 minutes of it or 24 <laughs> minutes or whatever it was. 23 um, minutes like, and 7 seconds. Yeah, I mean, I like Scorpio Sky. Good, good for him. And I like uh, Ethan Page. I Somebody asked on Twitter this week, I think, um, how do you feel about Ethan Page? Like, how excited are you that that guy's in AEW? And I was like, well, I know AEW is not going to book him well. So I'm, I'm less excited about that in the sense of like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get to see cool stuff. But I'm excited about that guy getting signed because I think he deserves it. I think he's really talented and... He seems like a decent guy, and there are not enough of those in wrestling. So, um, I, I think he'll find his way in AEW the same way he found his way in Impact. He found his niche and he kind of expanded it. And yeah, you know, because he was Joseph Park's nephew to start with, and then kind of made himself a bigger and bigger role until he was World Tag Team Champions. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah. I think I think he'll figure it out. I just I'm not I'm not I don't know I don't feel like they're gonna they're gonna find the right thing for him to do right away i think he's gonna have to figure it out himself and AEW might be the kind of place where he can actually do that relative to some of the other televised wrestling promotions Mm. um but yeah i don't know i i tried really hard to get invested in some of the wrestling that i was watching in this match because i mean there's there's like there's some pretty crazy stuff that happens in this. <laughs> like the frog splash was crazy. The the rising me thing was crazy. The ladder spots were all crazy. But I felt myself getting bored again. And mm. you know, I don't know. Like I'll be, I gotta be honest. I spent a lot of this pay per view feeling like I really had to force myself to pay attention to. Yeah. Watching. Yeah. That feels like a problem with AEW in general. A lot of their mm. pay-per-views got really long when they don't necessarily need to. Like, a lot of these matches could have had, like, five minutes cut off them and there'd be no worse for wear. It's Yeah. It's one of the things we're noticing with New Japan is it's a much crisper product. You know, they're limited to two-and-a-half-hour shows. There's curfews in Japan. They can't have that many people in the building. They can't have that many wrestlers on the card. So a two-and-a-half-hour show, it just snaps along. You only get the meat and potatoes of the show. You get more people in matches because you can run bigger tag matches and stuff. But each show is better produced and better for it, especially on like New Japan Cup run because the matches aren't going to be 45 minutes long because they've got to wrestle seven or eight times on the tour in a big singles match. So they're not like going for 45 minutes to finish off the night and then have to do it again three days later, they're, they're being sensible with their booking as far as time concerns is concerned, is concerned. And it's like it's hard. It makes it hard to concentrate on stuff like this where it's the big blow-off. We're going to sit you down for four hours and take you on a roller coaster ride. It's like, no. <laughs> I just like a pleasant trip, thanks. It's okay. Two and a half hours, three hours, that'd be fine. You know? Yeah. Even, even New Japan's house shows... Um... I mean, just the ones I've watched on the network and the one that I went to when I came to yeah. um to Boston. Uh even their um even their house shows are tighter than mm. AEW pay per views. And that feels weird somehow. <laughs> yeah. And no, I understand what you mean. It's it's like all even British shows, like traditionally a British show was four matches, two before the interval, one after. And that's the thing is like you don't get intervals, you don't get natural breathers on American shows. It just plows through for four hours and it's like 
could really do with something else in the middle of this to kind of like you know can we have a chat show or something <laughs> but I yeah know, i feel like they were trying yeah. to use kip sabian miro as the piss break match yeah i suppose they were really but mm. but equally orange cassidy is one of the most over guys they've got he's he's tailing off though they need to do something with him that's a bit more him as a leader they got him hot and then all of a sudden he's not as hot as he was possibly through overexposure i'm not sure but we'll see anyway we'll move on to the next match Darby Allen and Sting defeated Team Taz, Brian Cage and Ricky Starks 13 minutes and 52 seconds here's the thing about this not that I don't my cup of tea because it's cinematic wrestling and that's not really kind of what I like however if it wasn't for well actually we should talk about something else in a minute but we'll do that in a second if it wasn't for the big top secret signing that signed on this card and the exploding barbed wire death match in the main event this was Sting coming out of retirement, and barely anyone talked about it. And that yeah. was weird. Because <laughs> it's like, it just became another thing on the show. It was well done, and of this genre, it's one of the best things I've seen. And the cage match, guys, gave it 8.12, believe it or not. It was the best match on the card com- compared to by, by the, as described by the cage match users. The actual rest, best wrestling wrestling match was Akira Shida versus Rio Mizani. But, yeah, this this was very good at what it was. Not my cup of tea. But, again, it was Sting coming out of retirement, and it barely got a mention. It just was like, Sting's coming out of retirement to wrestle to Ricky Starks and Brian Cage. And it's like, surely they could have made more of that, a little bit. But, equally, this became a stack card, so there's an awful lot going on. What are your thoughts on this, Chelsea? Um, yeah, so I will admit that I did not know Sting was going to be on this pay-per-view until I watched it. Yeah, see? That's how much nobody talked about it. <laughs> and, like, I was really surprised because I was like, oh, I thought that guy had terrible injuries and couldn't come back to wrestling. Oh, okay, there he is. Um, I I thought this was fun. Um, I am not super invested in Darby Allen, but I... I have a hard time denying that he looks like he has a lot of potential. Yeah. Um, I do not care about Brian Cage. I've I've seen him do all the things that he does before. And so <laughs> I was just kind of like, well, okay, that guy is still doing the same shit. Um, yes. He, he, he's a nice dude, but he's one dimensional. He does his thing and that's all he can do. I mean, I don't think he is a nice dude because he's is friends he? with Tessa Blanchard. So. Oh, well, there you go, but... I, didn't I, that. I th- that that is that is most definitely coloring how I feel about his wrestling. <laughs> to be perfectly like a hundred percent honest, and and I mean, yeah, I don't know. And I'm a Priscilla Kelly fan, so Darby is kind of like I see him, and I'm kind of like mm, I'm not sure if I like you. Um, yeah, but yeah, I mean, this was fine. Like it was okay. I I felt a little emotionally exhausted by the time I got through it because I was waiting for the main event and I hadn't seen anything so far that I cared about as much as the ladies earlier on the card. Yeah. So I probably would have enjoyed it more if it had happened like a little earlier. Um, I think think, think it was a respectable match. Like it was good. I just, I didn't care. No, I think this, this would have been better. I also kind of like, I was unsure about the commentary. Like it felt like it didn't need commentary. Well, yeah, I mean. appreciate I've... it. Um, Jim Ross's shit attempts at humor. Yeah, well, it's not—it's not so much <laughs> God, Jimbo. The dad jokes. It's not so much Jimbo. I, for a start, there's far too many commentators, and four was just like overkill. You didn't need four commentators on this match. 
you know, I, yes, all right, Jim Ross is a living legend and Tony Schiavone is a living legend and Excalibur is a great commentator, but you don't need all three of them all the time. <laughs> you could get away with, like, two and, you know, it would be fine. Spread them out a bit. I like Taz being there as sort of like, oh, yeah, here's my boy's strategy. We're going to do this, this, and this. And then that slowly, makes sense, yeah. Slowly realizing that everything's coming undone because Sting is invincible. It's just brilliant to me. But <laughs> it was very crowded and just, yeah. Commentary throughout was just kind of a chore at times because you've got Excalibur, who's great at what he does. You've got Tony Schiavone there, who tends to just be like color and he adds nice things and we've got jim ross there who half the time doesn't sound like he knows what's going on he's he's a legend he was one of the best in the game but that was years ago and now you're trying to make him keep up with like modern people who he's probably never heard of until you've signed them making him commentate things he's probably not that knowledgeable about he's like here he is trying to talk about brian cage bouncing darby allen off a pillar or a coffin drop through a gigantic board off the top of a building and he's just not there for it no i think i think this is the issue is like if you've got a set a card like this where it's all action all the time get shivani to do it with excalibur they'll be fine Mm. if it's like older style wrestling where there's a lot of big heavy hitting matches and you want somebody to convey some emotion get Jim Ross and Excalibur, they'll be fine. But having all three of them all the time is just painful because they're over each other all the time. And Jim Ross has said himself he doesn't like working in a three-man booth because it's too much. It's too much noise going on. There's too much distractions, especially if you put a producer in there as well. There's too many voices. So so working in a four-man booth must be insane. But that's just me. Any other comments on this match, John? I just really enjoyed it. I like I cinematic matches tend to be fifty fifty. They're either really good or they're really bad. And this one they put a lot of like care and attention into the cinematography. There was some nice angle work and it's bloody sting coming back and looking like a badass <laughs> against a guy that looks like a walking mass of muscles and one of the most underrated wrestlers on the planet in Ricky Starks. And yet he still got to be the most dominant man in the match. He was yeah. the saviour of it because Alan was spending most of it getting his ass beaten off, jumping off high things. It was just really entertaining to watch. Yeah. And it again, it might have been better in a better place on the card, but they were using the video to set up the main event. Yeah, there's practical reasons why they do stuff as well. You know, that main event was re- required a lot of work. Um, we discussed this earlier. If you listened to yesterday's uh, Today at the New Japan Cup, me and Christy were discussing the fact that Kiyoji Muto is the current Global Honor Crown champion at the age of 58 years old and staying at roughly the same age. And obviously, they had an incredible feud and tag team in 1989 because I've been watching Sting wrestle for 31 years now. <laughs> 31 years now. Um, Dude, that's a yeah. lot. Yeah, I like that. It's made me feel quite old, but also, you know, it's also it's just it's just a long time. And you've it's like ro- you've been watching him wrestle longer than my lifetime. How yeah. does that feel? <laughs> yeah, no, this is it. Who was that guy? I said there was somebody I've been watching longer than Chelsea been alive as well. I can't remember who it was. 
I'm, I'm 33, so you started watching him wrestle when I was, like, two. Yes. I watched Owen Hart wrestle a while longer than you. Yeah, I first watched Owen Hart wrestle in 1986. It was before you were born. Yep. <laughs> was, Literally true. Yeah. I, Jushin Liger. That was it. I watched Jushin Liger wrestle before you were born. Yep. Yeah. That's, that's terrifying. But there you go. <laughs> um, yeah. It's just... It, Nothing, age is apparently not Barry anymore, and that's quite that's quite cool. And Muto is is doing good stuff, and he's having good matches, and he's drawing. And he wouldn't be in that position if he wasn't putting money in the company. And that's the same with Sting. But again, no one's going to buy it if no one knows it's happening. You need more stuff. The big signing, the big mystery signing, which had Twitter a flutter all week, ended up being Christian Cage. What do you think of that, John? I recognized it instantly because he used his impact theme. Like the second it started playing, I was like, oh, they got Christian. And <laughs> it, it's nice because it's someone people like. It's not some, yeah, like, asshole we don't want to see. It's not Bully Ray. It's not someone who's a Dude. dick. It, it's Christian. And we always want to see a Christian do more because Christian is cool. Yeah. That's that's fair. Not like the NWA this week. You decided that we we're going to set about burning bridges quite quickly. Um, Chelsea, what's your thoughts on the idea of Christian coming back to AEW? I was shocked, and I I was thinking a little bit about the joke that someone made that his name in AEW is going to have to be atheist. Um, <laughs> I didn't watch him in Impact really, so I'm not familiar with that part of his career. I I did not know that that was whose music it was um but i saw people freaking out and i agree with what you said john about how it's really nice that they got somebody that people actually like um yes. i was expecting whoever it was going to be to be a massive disappointment but instead it's christian who is really really good and a really intelligent wrestler as well as like really fun to watch and seems like a nice dude and it's great that that guy has more gas in the tank than we all knew he had. It's it's very cool that he can um, wrestle again safely and doesn't apparently have to worry about severe concussions or whatever it was that that was a problem for him before. So um, yeah, I'm I'm glad that he's doing stuff again, and I think it will be really interesting to see him work with some of the younger guys. Um, yeah, which he I, I listened to a little bit of the podcast that he did with Renee. Um, I wanted to call her Renee Young, but it's Renee Paquette. Uh, <laughs> and uh, um, uh, he sounded like he was just so excited about it. Like he sounded like he was just really into all these guys who he was aware of, but never got to work with before. So the fact that he's excited about it means that they'll they'll probably find something interesting to do with him. Yeah, of course, the other big recent signing is Paul White as well, which was more of a shocker if anyone, because he's been... Such a WWE loyalist and, you know, had plenty of opportunities to get out of the company when he wanted to. But there was no real other wrestling option for him. But he could have done movies or anything else he wanted to do, really. You know, or just go and play Dungeons and Dragons with Tom Morello. Um, but, but, yeah, it's been an interesting time for AEW. They've stopped signing. I think they've signed as many indie men and women as they possibly can and as many as they can possibly use. And now they're starting to fill out useful guys in a front office position if that makes sense you know because yeah, Paul... I, was, I was thinking that they've sort of gone for people who can like not only do jobs at the front of the house but they'll be like oh yeah these they're gonna have so much sort of like stuff to pass on to other people as well 
Yeah, and you've got guys there already like Jake Roberts and Arn Anderson who have work creative, who've worked production. They they know that stuff inside out, and they're passing that on. Tully Blanchard's another one. You know, there are, there is a bunch of the, that generation of wrestlers who can have a hand in molding the way professional wrestling is going to look in the future, and that's really important, I think. You know, the other thing I kind of appreciate about all this. Mm. it's not cynical like with no. some some people it would just be a case of oh look the opposition's offering me a better paycheck i'm going out over there it's they they have some sort of passion for what they've they've been put into like paul white is happy to be there he is being he's doing yeah. something he wants to do without the sort of cloud of wwe hanging over his head he seemed more energetic giving those couple of announcements he did than half the stuff he did in WWE in the past 10 years. He, yeah, he can relax a bit because this company is invested in him and they want him to be an ambassador without expecting him to do other things. Jump Christian, through hoops. Yeah, Christian has got a big company taking a chance on him again and they're not going to have him be like this second fiddle to edge. It, It's just, they're happy they're there. They're not just there for the paycheck, which is what happens a lot of the time when the opposition brings people back or signs people from other places, it's just like, oh, look who's here now. Watch us change his name and take all his trademarks. It's like, it's it's not shit business. Yeah, yeah. It's... Even worse than being there for the paycheck is that I think a lot of them are there because they can't get out of their contracts. Yeah. And, like, can you imagine having, like, I don't know how long the contracts are that they're signing people to. I know some people sign for, like, three years or five years. Can you imagine having a five-year contract for a job where you can't quit? You literally can't quit. But you have four years left, and you know that you don't want to be there, and you don't want to go to work, and you still have to, like, travel during a pandemic. Like, that that has got to be incredibly depressing. It's like Andrade yeah. just asked for his release this week. And I mean, yeah. when was the last time we saw him on TV? Yeah. And to quote Steve Austin, that motherfucker always says no. <laughs> it's just true. Yep. If, if Vince doesn't want you to go anywhere, you are not going anywhere. You are the slave to the man. I hate to use the word slave. It's an inappropriate word for this particular point. But it is essentially you cannot work for anyone else. And it's not fair business practice because they're not employees and they should be. You know. Yeah, they should have they should have health insurance. They should be unionized. They should have negotiating power. They should have some kind of say in what they're required to do. And they can't even get out of their contracts without like a massive legal dispute that is probably for most of them going to bankrupt them. Yeah, there is. The, you, you you just can't do it. You you just got to sit tight and sit on your hands for three years. You know, I mean, it worked out for some people. Who's the oh Bray Wyatt's brother? Can't remember his name. Um, Bo Dallas. Bo Dallas has essentially not been on television for two years and has been paid to sit at home. And yeah. he, he's just like, yeah, I'm not interested in wrestling anymore. It's co it's killed his um, love of the, the love of the genre, but he's getting a big fat paycheck for doing nothing. Um, and he's uh, studying to take a real estate exam. I think. Just terrifying isn't it how, how many wrestlers go into real estate yeah funnily enough i was uh i did the obituary on jim crockett the former owner of crockett promotions uh, in mid-atlantic 
And when he retired from pro wrestling, he became a real estate officer in Texas. <laughs> so, Dad went to law enforcement. Are they going to... Politics. Politics or, or real estate. It's, yes. It's so odd. Ricky Ricky Vaughn, who was Ricky um, was Lance von Erich in world class pro professional wrestling, was an was a, a real estate agent before he was a professional wrestler. <laughs> Maybe but we're it's... doing this lack wrong. We should just go into real estate. Yes. Well, when... I think I think some of the appeal might be that it's really difficult to be a successful real estate agent if you aren't already exceedingly wealthy in a way where you can display your wealth by having like a really nice car, nice clothes, perfectly white straight teeth, perfect tan. So if you've got six figures in the bank just sitting there because you had a a wrestling career that you now have no interest in and it's behind you, it's probably kind of the perfect opportunity because you could buy cheap houses, flip them, sell them. I mean, Maurice did that after she left WWE and she's made a pile doing it. Yeah, that's it. Turn up in your nice Mercedes and smile. Sorry, John? Yeah. I was just going to say, I didn't think about the psychology of it. That's a great point. Yeah, it's it's selling stuff. It's putting people into buildings. Literally putting people into buildings. And that's what a wrestler does, isn't it? So, Anywho, let us move on to the main event of the evening. The AWA World Championship match in an exploding barbed wire death match. Which had some interesting rules. The, 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 the explosives would go off after half an hour. There was only three sides of the ring barbed wire. It wasn't a no-rope barbed wire exploding death match. And I think that was it. Or was there something else weird? No, that was it. They had the landmines as well. Oh, they had the landmines outside the ring. Um, and when I saw the rules, I was like, hmm, the half-hour mm. thing, that's an awful long time to be hanging around inside a barbed wire ring. Um, and I thought back to the the time bomb match with Terry Funk and Anita and the time bomb match with Mr. Pogo and Anita. And I was like, the bomb went off after 15 minutes. And there's a lot, the match went on after the 15 minutes, but the bomb went on after the 15 minutes. And that makes more sense because you can always tell the story afterwards. And I kind of was thinking they're going to struggle to make this work the way they want to over a half hour. And they pulled it off. But it wasn't, it, again, it was just too long. 25 minutes is a long time. And having the explosives go off after the match is finished as well just seemed strange to me. It just like, it seemed to be like, the, but the match is finished. Why are you exploding the mat? Why, why are you exploding the ring? It doesn't make any logical sense. It's, they did give it a good justification. I'll give them that. But, go on then. Well, the sort of whole point, the match ended. Then they sort of beat down Moxley further, handcuffed him, and they were like, all right, we're going to kill him for good. So they were going to leave him behind in the ring when it exploded. So they sort of went for this, shit, we've beaten him before, we can kill him, route. So they just went the extra mile and thought, right, well, we've got a time bomb here. It's going to go off regardless. Let's leave Moxley in the ring for it. And then obviously Eddie Kingston gets to do the big Ornita save spot. (laughs) to be honest i can't think of a better person for it i just wish it hadn't been as bad as it was because the mental image of eddie kingston laying over john moxley trying to protect him from an exploding ring is insane 
when you think about the story they've gone through over the the months. That is so cool. Except the explosion (laughs) sucks. Yes. Um, The explosion. That's the worst bit of this because the match was amazing. Like this, this was a great sort of Americanized version of the exploding barbed wire death match. They timed the spots well. There was a nice load of FMW throwbacks. They researched what they were doing. Yeah. It all got nullified by the the time bomb because they had I can't be the only one that thought the explosions throughout the match were pretty good for what they were. Yeah. What you could get away with inside a venue. This like this that. is the bit this is the bit that like when the show started, I'm looking at it, I'm going like that's their regular arena. There there is a barricade around the ring that's the normal distance away, because you look at those FMW matches, the crowd doesn't start for like twenty twenty feet past where you would normally see it. Mm. You know, um, because they need to be safe. You don't want to blow up your first row, especially when you've got a bunch of Yakuza who will kill you, <laughs> to, to be blunt, to be blunt um, watching your match. Um, and I'm like, and I'm looking at the the commentary team who were all on set less than 20 yards away from the ring, which is full of high-quality talent and some legendary legendary presenters who don't want to be anywhere near that ring because it's going to blow up. And I'm thinking, it can't possibly be that big. And it wasn't. I think the one thing that made it worse was the fact the sparklers set off first and it just looked like Mickey Mouse. If they hadn't existed, it would have been fine. Yeah, it wouldn't have been. Didn't Kenny Omega confirm? I'm sorry to interrupt, but didn't Kenny Omega confirm that the explosion was supposed to be bigger than it was and that something didn't work right? Yes, apparently the yeah. rehearsal, in the rehearsals it was a lot better and a lot louder and he was really pissed. Mm. Yeah. The funny thing about all of this is Kenny Omega is the guy that's been pushing for death matches in FMW, sorry, FMW in AEW <laughs> for ages. <laughs> apparently this was him finally getting what he wanted and it just, it kind of fell flat because of a technical hitch. It's, it's the issue though, Terry Funk and Mick Foley's match at IWA King of the Death matches were it they had an explosion that was smaller than the AEW one. Mm. And I think this this is the trouble. When you start comparing yourself to those FMW death matches, they can't be that violent mm. and the explosion just cannot be that big. They're in an indoor arena. What are you gonna do? Blow the building up? Well, the FMW matches weren't safe anyway. <laughs> no, of course they weren't. <laughs> Let's go to a car park in Osaka and set up some landmines. If you eat, of course not. <laughs> I mean, look at the people who are in charge. <laughs> Chelsea, what are your thoughts on this? I really enjoyed this. Um, I so I I enjoyed it having already seen the discourse on Twitter about oh, isn't it yeah. a shame that the explosion at the end wasn't that great? So I knew Eddie was going to come out already, and I knew that the explosion at the end wasn't going to be big and impactful. So I, that didn't deter me from my enjoyment, I think, because I was prepared for it. I wasn't, like, yes. waiting in anticipation of it. Um, I thought this was really fun. I thought this was such smart wrestling. I, I don't I don't know how I feel about the stipulations, to be honest. I, I intentionally sort of tried to, like, not wrap my mind around it because I was like, I would just like to enjoy this, please, because I know that the two guys in this are really excited about it. And 
I I liked uh, their little homages to Onita. I liked the fact that, I mean, you know, Kenny did the white shirt and the jeans and Mox did the leather jacket. And I loved Mox taking a shot of something right before he got in the ring. That was great. <laughs> and I loved, like, they're all there all their wrestling in the middle of the ring was like quick and crisp and had that like effortless thing that those two guys have together where they just are excited to work together and something just kind of flows. And it, it didn't distract me from the fact that it was a barbed wire match. Like that's the thing, right? Onita could without being, I think on the same technical wrestling level that either Mox or Kenny is on, right? Like nowhere near, Nowhere near as capable in terms of his actual technical wrestling ability. But Onita could make you forget that he was in a barbed wire match. Because yes. I, don't, I don't even know I don't even know how he did it. It was some sorcery. But like he could make you forget that that was what was happening until somebody hit the barbed wire. And then it was like, oh God, that's so brutal. And it would crash you back to reality, you know? But I, I didn't I didn't have that in this match but i still really enjoyed the pacing of this match a lot i thought it was really intelligent um i freaking love the spot where kenny gets mox up for the one wing angel does it and then mox gets out of it by kicking the barbed wire and the explosion forces kenny to get off him that was freaking amazing i like screeched a little bit um (laughs) i i love I love some, and like, just, I, because like I said, I'm a John Moxley appreciator and like, I've watched some of that dude's old, old death matches. And I watched all his stuff in WWE and just like, I love that that guy knows when to sacrifice his body for something versus when it's not going to have any kind of an impact. I, I feel like, I feel like he's really smart about that. And I feel like that's something that, a lot of wrestling fans who aren't as invested in the deathmatch part of it don't necessarily give him credit for. So I that was that was fun seeing him seeing him do this. Um, and you can tell he and Kenny really trusted each other to be able to do some of the stuff, like the spot where they went out of the ring onto the barbed wire landmine table thing. That was nuts. Um, that was very bloody. Uh, I was surprised, actually, that um, Mox got a ton of blood on his face. I, I somehow wasn't expecting that. I was expecting somebody was going to hit the barbed wire and have a bunch of burns on their back. But I wasn't expecting the the bloody face, bloody chest stuff. Um, yeah. And I loved, I loved Eddie coming out at the end to try to rescue Mox after all the contention between the two of them. I think that that is fascinating. I... I don't know if it's going to turn into be one of those things where Eddie is like, yeah, nobody can take that guy out except me. So fuck all of you. Or if it's going to be one of those things where they end up working together somehow, but I'm so here for all of that. I I'm totally, totally into it. Um, I wish that wrestling fans who were disappointed by the ending would have maybe given the match more of its due and not just focus so much on how disappointed they were by the explosions. Like it did look stupid. It was dumb, but at this point we all know what happened. So maybe just give them some credit and give AEW some credit for doing something that was a big risk to begin with. Um, I do hope that they experiment more with other types of death matches and stuff like that, where they let 
the wrestlers do things that they want to do that are really brutal. But um, I, I think your point, James, about not comparing themselves to FMW is probably a good call. It would probably be better for them to just have a crazy match that doesn't have all that historic legacy behind it. Yeah. I mean, it, it wasn't bad. It was great. Yeah. And what they did was good. And I, again, yeah, I did pop for the foot on the barbed wire and, and the big moments that they had. The issue for me was when you recall histories, one of the reasons why Vince McMahon doesn't like recalling history is because you're setting yourself up for a fall if it doesn't meet that expectation. And, and I hate to say that Vince is sometimes right. <laughs> so, you know, he's made more money yeah. in wrestling than anybody else, and he's not wrong a lot of the time. Um, he may be out of touch, but he's, he's got wrestling sense more than anyone's ever had, let's be honest, or certainly North America. I think ignoring the final moment, that is probably the best title match main event AEW has had in terms of how good the wrestling was, how good the pacing was, and just how creative they were with it. The match itself was perfect to me. I loved pretty much everything in it. And yeah, that foot on the ropes putt doesn't get half the credit it deserves because it is so cleverly done. And I loved the fact that they loaded the barbed wire bat up so much. Like that had one of the biggest explosions of the match. It was, <laughs> little bat. It was perfect. It's, it's such a good match that people are going to take the piss out of for one shit little moment that they didn't plan yeah. for. Yeah, that's true. All right, then. Do you have any closing thoughts, John, on this particular pay-per-view, having discussed it in depth? I genuinely did enjoy the show. And whilst I have my like qualms with some of the like the choices and the match lengths and things like that, they had a death match as the main event. That is automatically going to be highly regarded in my books. And the fact that they did that to begin with, and will hopefully continue to do something along that regard. Maybe not as, like, pomp and circumstance, but AEW like to get hardcore. This is the second death match John Moxley and Kenny Omega have had. Who's to say there won't be a third one? But they, they continuously experiment. They're not stagnating. It's, it's good to see, and this card kind of reflects that to some degree, and then in other parts it's just too safe. It's like a Jekyll and Hyde card. Yeah, yeah, I think so as well. Chelsea, what's your thoughts on your first pay-per-view product from AEW in a long time? Uh, so overall, a lot of the pay-per-view was boring. The women's match was awesome, and I really enjoyed the mid-event. So I hope that AEW, if they're going to keep doing, like you said, four pay-per-views a year, I hope they do a better job at figuring out how to structure their cards so that it's easier to stay invested fully throughout. Um, I like the fact that they're taking risks. I just, I also wish that they would like do some of the basic things that wrestling fans always ask them for, like putting women on your show and giving them time and writing storylines for them that make sense. Um, and, uh, I, I don't, it almost feels like they have a bigger locker room than they need right now like i know it's yeah. wrestling. people get hurt all the time so you have to have some people waiting in the wings who can take over if somebody needs time off or something like that like i get that but um that was one of my takeaways was i was like there's no way that even with a weekly tv show that there is time 
for me to get invested in all of the people who were on this card. And um, I don't know. I kind of I kind of wonder about that. I wonder if that's something that they're going to do better on as they learn more or if it's just, you know, part of what happens when you have a televised wrestling show. I don't know. Hmm. But um, overall, I enjoyed parts of the parts I liked. I, I enjoyed very much. I'm not sad that I watched it, but I spent so much of it being bored and I wasn't expecting that. No, I think that's the issue is is balance, like timing of matches in certain places and the, it didn't flow rhythmically the way perhaps um, it didn't throw flow the way that perhaps that we wanted it to to make it a more complete product. There's, there's nothing wrong with it. There just needs to be more of the things that go right, if that makes sense. So. Yep. Well, thank you very much for listening to the Troopany Show today. I'd like to thank my guest, Mr. John Dinsdale. Where can we find you on the internet, sir? You can find me at John Deathman on Twitter. That is the gateway to hell that is everything, my writing, my opinions, my occasional rants about how shit certain parts of society are. And yeah, if you ever, it's probably one of the best ways to connect with me if you want to talk death matches. Okay. Just don't be a dick. <laughs> <laughs> We try not to be. Um, would you also like to thank Miss Chelsea Spollin for her time today? We appreciate you greatly. Where can we find you on the internets, Mom? Uh, uh, so I am on Twitter and Instagram as Panels and Pros. And my Twitter is good if you want to talk about wrestling or women's gymnastics or uh, social justice. And my Instagram is good if you want to see pictures of the vegan food that I cook and eat. <laughs> Okay, thank you very much for listening to the Troopany Show today. You can find me at Sheriff Lone Star. You can find the show at Troopany Show on Twitter. You can find us on Troop the Troopany Show on Facebook and Patreon, where you can keep the Troopany Show free for everyone forever. I am also doing the show now, today, at the New Japan Cup with Christy all this week, except Tuesday, where I'm doing it by myself. But other than that, it'll be all this week, the New Japan Cup, as we get towards the final and live in dear God that Will Ospreay doesn't win. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Take care, and we'll see you soon. Bye! <laughs>